the original author had a meaning and mm-hmm. the author's intended meaning is what the text means, right. which is different than other approaches to reading the Bible where people would say, it doesn't really matter what the original author meant. It's, right. it's really all about what it means to me That's today. Right. And, and it's our conviction. Well, when we speak, we mean something. And if you misunderstand me, it, what I meant is what really matters. Right. And so we have to work toward clear communication right. there. And so what the author meant, what that that's where the meaning lies. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles. And we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hello, everybody. You're listening to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Groon. I'm a pastoral resident here at Emmaus Road Church, and I'm joined, as always, this week with Ryan Chase. And our aim this week, we're trying something a little new. We're throwing in a new category. I thought, kind of thinking through what, what would serve our souls, what would serve me, what would serve the people of Emmaus Road Church, is um, kind of doing a, a theological survey through various books of the Bible. Um, and, you know, you could put your finger and choose any book of the Bible to start, but we just, I thought Colossians would be a a good first go. So the goal of this podcast is to kind of do a a brief, obviously very brief survey overview of the book of Colossians. I know in the New Testament in particular, we we tend to dive in and, and look at, you know, there's the famous chapters in each of these Books and there, we have a tendency of diving in and, and just reading that. It's it's helpful to me to take the whole thing and take a look at it. Um, yeah, if, there's a practice I've developed over the years is taking 15, 20 minutes every once in a while and just reading an entire letter. Hmm. Um, I think we we especially as pastors we spend so much time, like I said, getting into the nitty gritty into the one verse that we're preaching that week or uh, in our devotions, just that one chapter or whatever it is. But to take to, to see the forest and not just the trees is a good practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, a modest goal is just to kind of do a quick overview. But um, I guess, Ryan, we were talking a little bit before. Why, why should we do something mm-hmm. like this? What's, the, what's our goal in studying the Bible in this way? Mm. Yeah, well, I think our hope, like you said, if the goal is just to give kind of a, an overview of a book like Paul's letter to the Colossians, um, probably the, the practical impact of that on our people would hopefully be just to commend that uh, that letter, uh, spend time in the book of Colossians, because this is, this is God's word and there are treasures here to be mined. And we mine that treasure, we, we pull that out by uh, understanding the big picture, like you're talking about the forest and the trees. I think that's a helpful way to think about. You can kind of get lost in the trees if you don't have the big picture. Um, or if you had the big picture and you never drilled down in depth, you, you'd miss something. But both of those go together. And yeah. so, um, you know, our pursuit is always, we, we want to hear God's voice. We want to understand what he said. So um, the whole aim of scripture is to 
bring us into relationship with God, to change us, to affect us. And so when we understand what God's word says and what it means, then then we're affected by that truth, by God's mm. voice. It's possible to read the Bible and misinterpret it, to read it and misunderstand it, right. to, to read it and not get anything out of it. So how do we avoid that? Well, we have to interpret it rightly. And part of that is just understanding, first of all, what's being said yeah. and by whom and to whom and when and why. And so some of those context things, you know, maybe people have heard that phrase, uh, context is king. Yeah. What a particular verse means depends on where it is in a a thought, a paragraph, and a chapter. And of course, the chapter and verse breakdowns are not original to the text. Paul didn't put those numbers in as he was writing. So, so these are you know, thoughts inspired by the Spirit of God, and they, they go together. And so to step back and see the whole matters. And, and so understanding the context. That, so going through, when we do a, a survey of a book of the Bible, we just give attention to things like who wrote this and when and why yeah. and who was the audience because those things will factor in when we are working through particular paragraphs and sentences and words even to go, okay, in this context, and we know that with English language, we have words that can mean different things in different contexts, different right. usages. So you pull up a dictionary and look up a word, there might be several entries because the word can be used in different ways. And so we want to you know, give attention, what, what's the context here? So that, that's kind of why a study like this, a overview, yeah. a, a survey of a, a book is helpful. And it matters to us. It's coupled with our convictions about the inspiration of scripture. Yeah. Uh, we believe the word came to us. There are really two authors. The There's the human authors who are writing, but they are being, they are not just, they are writing out of their own will, but their will, according to Second to, to Peter, is being carried along by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So behind the human author is a divine author that's not dictating in their ear what to write, mm. but using them and their situations and the context to bring about that which he would have us yeah. know. So that's why it matters yeah. why we study context and and author and all that. Because, I mean, imagine you writing an email, right? <laughs> yep. You have a thought. You, you, you're trying to communicate something to somebody else. And so you're going to package it a certain way. You're going to use certain yeah. turns of phrase. And they're going to be unique to you. You have a voice. Uh, Paul has a voice that's different than John's, that's different than Mark's, and yeah. and so forth. But through it all, you know, our core conviction is in the inspiration and the uh, and the integrity of Scripture, the infallibility of Scripture, is that mm. it's coming from God ultimately. Yeah, yeah. And to hear and understand what God meant, it's our conviction. Um, the meaning of the text the original author had a meaning and mm. the author's intended meaning is what the text means, right. which is different than other approaches to reading the Bible where people would say, it doesn't really matter what the original author meant. It's right. it's really all about what it means to me That's today. Right. Um, and, and so in the world of hermeneutics, which is all about what does a text mean and how do you understand the meaning of a text, there are these very different convictions mm. about where is the meaning even located. Um, and, and it's our conviction well, when we speak, we mean something. And if you misunderstand me, it, what I meant is what really matters. Right. And so we have to work toward clear communication right. there. And so what the author meant, what that that's where the meaning lies. And so the contextual stuff is just helping us get at that. What did the original author originally mean right. before we can get to now, how does that apply to me? So the danger is always starting with me, 
just go in and say, oh, this, this really sounds like, you know, this thing going on in my life today and <laughs> start with me and, and what I want it to mean for my life. So, um, th- this is a safeguard against that to, yeah. to be working at the, the intended meaning. Yes. And if that intended meaning is according to second Timothy, God speak, if, if it is breathed out by God, then those are, that's yeah, God's that's intended what, that, meaning. Exactly. So, the, yeah, can't the hope, separate those. The hope for us is that if we understand what Paul meant in Colossians rightly, we under, we hear the voice of God. Yeah, that is the hope. That that's why we labor in doing this is because we believe those promises that when we understand this book rightly, when we understand the letter rightly, when we actually get to what Paul intended, we can know something truthfully. We can know it because it's God's word. So that's why we study the book of Colossians. That's why we study the Bible in general. Mm. Um, So should we dive in? With that, let's go. Let's go. Okay. Uh, The book of Colossians. Um, Maybe we'll just start with who wrote it. (laughs) Uh, We were talking a little bit before. If you open up any, I mean, if you open up your Bible and go to the introduction to any of the books that you read, you'll likely find regular categories showing up. Things like authorship, things like date, that, that word occasion, meaning kind of the context, the, what was going on that prompted him to write, and then likely the audience. Um, so maybe we'll use those categories. So uh, the authorship, uh, it's claiming to be Paul, right? It's claiming to be written by Paul, Colossians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. That, that's the claim. And yes. Anytime you read in any of your introductions, you're going to hear disputes. <laughs> Even something as blatant as that is going to be disputed. And that likely, almost all of that, most of the Bible's authorships were taken at face value up until really the Enlightenment is yeah. where everybody just started questioning everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no way that Paul could have written this. So it must have been written by somebody claiming to be Paul hundreds of years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just affects everything. Yeah. So there's all sorts of hypotheses and, and arguments that you could dive into, and there's plenty of resources out there. We're just going to take God's word and Paul's word for it. At face value. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And there are great resources out there for anybody who wants to explore that more. Um, you know, what, what are solid arguments and responses to those claims that Paul didn't actually write this, but somebody else claiming to be Paul did. And um, that's been popular, like you said, especially in liberal scholarship. Mm-hmm. I, I think a simple way to think about this is there, there are, um, there's a hermeneutic of faith and a hermeneutic of suspicion right. or skepticism. A hermeneutic of faith starts from the disposition, I trust that God has spoken. And, and so my main disposition as I come to God's word is I believe it. Um, you, you can recognize the voice of the serpent mm-hmm. in the garden who said to Eve, did God really say? Yeah, that's that, right. that, the serpent's first words to Eve, did God really say? That echoes down through today, um, liberal, critical scholarship that's always saying, did God really say that? And of course, they've already made up in their mind that he didn't. So all of their conclusions are always, oh, look, God did not say this. The right. apostle Paul did not write this. This is not the word of God. And, and then along the way, every point in the letter is questioned and rejected. And so I, I think um, on one level, it's safe for Christians just to 
trust as the church has done historically, yes. taken this at face value. It says in the beginning of the letter, very first verse, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Yeah. If you want to go down and explore, well, what are the, the good and strong arguments against people claiming this is not actually Paul? There are great resources out there like Carson and Moo's introduction to the New Testament. They, yeah. they deal with those claims, but we take this to be Paul. That's right. So let's just say Paul... Well, not just let's say, Paul yeah. <laughs> said it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So that would be the author. Now, when did he write it? Um, in Colossians, in the book itself, in ver- chapter 4, verse 18, Paul writes, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, remember my chains. So here he's, he's referencing that he's probably in chains. And we know from the book of Acts, Paul spent a lot of time in chains. He, he was in prison. Yep. So the question is, which imprisonment? Um, it's, it's traditionally taken that this was written um, with his other, uh, they're called prison letters, mm-hmm. books, Colossian, Philemon, Ephesians, and Philippians, all written from the same place, namely Rome. It's his imprisonment at the end of Acts uh, in his, and they're, they're, they have that designation prison epistle. So that's his, that's where he is as he's writing it in his own context, kind of what's going on around him as he's writing this book or this, this letter. Remember, that that's, I always have to remind myself, these are letters. Mm. Um, he's meaning to communicate, and it's a correspondence between him and a local church. So he, Paul, is writing while imprisoned to a local church, the church in, uh, the, to, the, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Um, and in that church, that church was likely... Paul probably never even visited that church. Right. Um, we know there, there was this guy named Epaphras. I say Epaphras. Epaphras. How do you say it? Sassafras. Yeah. How do you How do you say it? Epaphras. Okay. Well, that <laughs> sounds better. Okay. He likely uh, was a close uh, acquaintance with Paul. Yeah. Likely the one who planted this church, and likely the one who's been carrying these letters back and forth in correspondence. And yeah. like. The Corinthian correspondence, we only get one half of the conversation. Paul, in the book of Corinthians, in 1 and 2, in his letter to the Corinthians, he references the correspondence he's having with them, that there's been news going back and forth. That's why he's writing, is to instruct them in news that he's hearing. So here in this book, he receives news that this church has fallen, this young, small, local church is beginning to fall prey to some false teachings, um, a teaching that is what's happening as Christianity, as the the death and resurrection of Jesus has changed and upended everything and is going out. If if you read the book of Acts, it's starting to spherically go out from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Well, that's happening. We see that happen in Paul's ministry. It Mm -hmm. goes out. And as it goes out, it's encountering all the other worldviews of the day. So we wouldn't, we should not be surprised that people are having issue with mm. that, where all of a sudden Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus, is changing people, and it changes people in contexts. I mean, think of our own stories. We, when we see new life, it happens in a in a in a world, in a context, in a location, in a worldview inhabited, mm. and it Christ calls us to put off the old man or take off the old man and put on the new, and that, mm. that can have some effect. So yeah. what we see is. Christianity coming up with the Gentile world. We've mm-hmm. seen that in 
the Judaizers, and Paul, that's what Paul addresses in Galatians. We see that in Corinth and First and Second Corinthians. Now, here in Colossians, this little church is starting to struggle to figure out how does Jesus relate to the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, so, and I would ahead. just add into the comment a, a lot of those clues about um, circumstance are just brought out of the text. Yes. Sometimes it can seem mysterious to people, like, "Wow, where, how did you how did you know that?" or "How, how do we know that about things?" Well. Chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, uh, just as you learned it, speaking of the gospel, from Epaphras and our beloved fellow servant, um, he's a faithful minister of Christ. So right there, he's saying, he's acknowledging they were evangelized by Epaphras. He's the one who preached the gospel to them, planted that church. Um, Paul says in verse 4, chapter 1, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and then he talks about how um, the, the news of that is spreading around to others as well. Verse nine. So from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. So he's acknowledging we haven't met, but we've, we've heard about you and your faith and your Mm. conversion from Epaphras. So I I think it's just helpful when you see in the, in the book itself, you have all these clues about context. Yeah. We learn where, who, all that stuff. We learn about it from the text itself. Mm -hmm. That's the the famous analogy of faith, the scripture interpreting itself, scripture interpreting scripture. That's exactly right. And as you read the letter, it becomes clear that what's being, what's taking place uh, is what's been called the Colossian heresy, Mm -hmm. this uh, desire for more. Um, They are being swayed by false teachers who are teaching, well, Jesus is just an entry into spirituality. You need something more. You need this, um, asceticism, this paganism that kind of begins to merge with Christianity, this Gnostic, you need to, there's, there's more you need to do in order to, and so that informs now the rest of the letter. Um, Paul doesn't really address the heresy until chapter two in chapters two or chapter two, eight through 23 specifically, but the topic takes primacy because it's the very motivation of Paul to write to the church. He, he, he wants to address the supremacy of Christ. Christ is being set aside as just a gateway into further spirituality. And then once you're through, you can just leave him behind and now you've got all these other things Move you have on to, to do. bigger and better things, deeper things, right. more mysterious things. So we have Colossians 1. One of the greatest, uh, one author says it's a Christological high point of the entire New Testament, um, of really the whole Bible, of Christ being displayed. So we have what in chapter one, we have verse uh, 15, the often called the Christ hymn, um, the exalted Christ, the Christ above all, not just a gateway, not just an entry into spiritual life, but the, the, the alpha and the omega, the mm-hmm. beginning and the end. He is all of it. So here in verse 15 through, uh, through the end there, he, he talks about this preeminence of Christ. Um, so Brian, maybe you could help us with the Christ hymn. What, <laughs> what is going on there? Yeah. Um, well, like you said, the context informs for us Paul's addressing false teaching. Mm. And so he, he does that by pointing to Christ's sufficiency for all of life. Um, Christ is the fullness of God. And so um, maybe it's just worth reading there, beginning verse 15, Mm. Paul says, he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether Mm. on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Yeah. And so when you take that as a whole and you um, break it down and, and follow the train of thought, it, it's very clear uh, verses 15 through 17, he's dealing with Christ and creation, yeah. firstborn over creation, by him all things were created, heaven and earth, visible, invisible, he's going through all these things. He's before all things, in him all things hold together. That repetition, you know, we, we practice this when we, we read God's word and we teach how to read and study the Bible. You just make observations. What are the themes? What are the repeated words and phrases? All things, all things, all creation. Uh, and then you have this shift in verse 18. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So, so Paul goes from creation as a whole to the church in particular as a new creation of God to show Christ's supremacy over the church. So he's holding up Christ as all you need for all of life in all of creation. Um, and I mean, we can get into a little bit more of the heresy and the false teaching and how these particular, th- this is not just disconnected right. theology, like, hey, here's a, a theological truth. No, it's, it's related to the problems that, are, that they're having in life. For all of us, you know, all of our problems are theological at the root. Yes. And so we need truth of God to correct our thinking, to bring our thinking in line with reality, which will have an effect on our behavior. So these themes then get unpacked in the rest of the book as, as it relates then to the specific misunderstandings, heresies, false teaching that they've, they've been falling into. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like I said, Paul doesn't really address the heresy directly until really the second chapter, but he fronts this thing up front, mm-hmm. this will be like a like the overture of a symphony. What what's in, what the, the overture is meant to include all the rest of the themes that are about to be unpacked in the rest of the mm. show. It's but here at the overture, we're going to include everything. So he starts with the supremacy of Christ over all things and over the church and over our redemption, pushing it into all the corners and then showing why the heresy cannot stand up to that. Mm. Um, and it, it's worth noting, I think, just lastly in the hymn here, that um, when he says here for he, for um, the firstborn of all creation, he is the, Im- this is verse 15, he mm. is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Um, that has led to other <laughs> heresies, mm. namely Arianism, with saying, well, here Paul's admitting Jesus is a created being. So kind of going off of what we've talked about in our statement of faith discussions on the triune God, is Jesus just a created being? Like here he's firstborn of all creation. Does that mean he's just the most important of all created right. things? Um, and no, Paul is not meaning to communicate that. He's meaning to say, no, he has supremacy and importance over all things. Because the very next line for by him, that's that's the created firstborn mm-hmm. of all creation for the for by Christ all things were created. So here Paul is identifying the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, to be part of the Creator, mm. and the Creator cannot be part of the creation. Right? We have that distinction. So 
that is a, not a sense of created primacy, but just a sense of overall, that, that, that primacy of Christ. And mm-hmm. man, that just, that changes everything, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Like Christ being a created thing or Christ just being this gateway into spiritual life. Yeah. Like how do we apply that mm. reality? How do we apply that, that truth? How, when we think on it and meditate, how does that come out in our mm. fingertips? Yeah. I think, yeah, so we move, you know, just kind of narrating how we, we get here. We come to application after first observing and interpreting and understanding. And then if we get our, our arms around the meaning, then that affects us and changes us. And I, I think, um, you know, the theme then of Colossians that's put in that Christ hymn right at the front, like you said, is all of Christ for all of life. He yeah. is all you need. And it's not hard then to see, okay, today the particular challenges that we face might look slightly different than what believers in Colossae were dealing with. Um, but the temptation is always there for Christians to think, well, you start with Christ, but but really we need some other ideologies, some other philosophies, some other therapies, some other some emotional, methods. Yeah, yeah. We, we just we need other rituals. We, we need something more to get us further and deeper. And Paul's insistence: Christ is absolutely everything. He is supreme over everything. He is all you need. He's sufficient for all of life. Um, we desperately need that message today. Yeah. I think the thing that Colossians were struggling with, people struggle with today. How, how do we live in this world? And so we know they were. Um, having challenges with how to relate to the stuff of the world, because he says in chapter two at the end, um, he talks about um, rituals and regulations do not handle and do not taste and do not touch all according, he says, to human precepts and teachings. Mm -hmm. And then he says, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And I think that false teaching is pervasive in our culture today. Mm-hmm. Human man-made regulations that have to do with diets that are going to solve all of your emotional problems or um, rituals that are going to make you a better human being, or, you know, people right. are always just promoting, I'm, I don't do this. I don't do that. Um, and, and Paul says that, yeah, it, it looks like there's wisdom in these right. ideologies you can start to follow, but they actually have no value in dealing with the flesh and the sin problem, and Christ is sufficient for all of that. He's, yeah. he's all you need. So I, I think learning how to live in a material world starts with understanding Christ is supreme over the material world, which actually... Uh, redeems the value of the material world. So we're not just trying to escape like, oh, don't touch these things. Don't eat those things and stay away from all of this. And no, Christ is supreme over creation. He made it all. It all exists for him. And so you can live freely in the material world for his glory by enjoying Christ in the things he's made. Um, It's a a message that is desperately needed today. And the inevitable um, fallout, I guess, of, of a legalistic... Jesus plus other whatever, fill in mm-hmm. the blank of uh, religious works or rituals or whatever it is. The other fallout or the um, response to that and the, the effect on our souls will be a lack of assurance. Mm. How do I know I'm secure? How do I know, have I done enough? Right. Uh, have I believed the right things? Have I, 
Have I performed the right rituals? And just Paul just completely obliterates that right at the beginning when he includes them in, in Colossians 1.20. He says, you have been transferred from this kingdom of darkness and you belong now to Christ. You mm. are in Christ. His repeated usage of that in him, that en auto the, in the mm. Greek, that you belong in him is like what he uses in Ephesians and that famous uh, opening <laughs> long sentence of mm-hmm. Ephesians 1 of, because of your inclusion in this family, being united to Christ now, you no longer have to worry about that. Yeah. So don't be led astray by, oh, you, you guys believe in Jesus? Great. You also have to do all things. No, being in Christ is your assurance. Yeah. He is your assurance of, of faith. And so that should, all the commands that, because you know, Paul doesn't just say, you're in Christ, don't worry about it, and then mm-hmm. stop, and then end the letter, you know, love always Paul. He, he says, he gives plenty of commands throughout the rest. In fact, Colossians 3 is the fame, uh, is the fame are the more famous like household codes and mm-hmm. how men and women are to relate to one another and, mm-hmm. and all that. Slaves, exactly. work. All of that flows out of the indicative mm-hmm. of you are in Christ. Christ is the firstborn of all creation. He is supreme over not only all creation, mm-hmm. but also of your salvation. Yeah. And because of that now, because of that reality, here's how you are to live in, in light of that and don't be led astray. So that... That should have, I hope it had the balming effect, or like the, the salve of, oh, okay, the arresting in Christ, but not arresting to just put your feet up and, you know, neglect the command because the commands are real and carry weight, but the indicatives always precede the imperatives. Mm-hmm. Um, one author says God's action prompts and demands a response, a human response. Yeah. Um, so that, that has an effect on me. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's another foundational truth in, in chapter two, verse three, where Paul says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Mm. And again, understanding the context, we know he's dealing with their temptation to pursue wisdom and knowledge in addition to Christ, outside of Christ, some other philosophy, some other set of regulations, some other wisdom. And he's saying, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. So you see how that's rooted mm. in the that the supremacy of Christ in chapter one. All creation, all things in Christ, God is recon- reconciling all things to Himself through Christ. Um, and, and so, again, it just sets up the pervasiveness, yeah. the the totality of Christ's supremacy that for our lives as well. It is. It really is Christ or chaos. That's, that's the option. Um, and Christ is sufficient. And so it, it, um, assures us and, and anchors us. Christ is enough Mm. for all of life and whatever challenges we're facing, whatever we think we lack, where are we going to find those treasures of wisdom and knowledge for the things we're navigating in our lives in Christ. And so it, it drives us. I mean, this book just compels us Back to Christ. Yeah. That, that's where Paul is pointing throughout. And he says in chapter 2, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, so it's just this sweeping, mm-hmm. because of Christ's sweeping supremacy, now because we are in him, it now affects everything. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the letter to the Colossians is just rich. It's, mm. a, 
it is a gold mine, like all of the text of scripture. It's a, it's a deep, deep mine that we can just keep going to and keep digging into. And one that, you know, it, this is what we were saying before. It did have an occasion. It did have a context that was immediate and intense, I'm sure, for the church in Colossians and for Paul sitting in prison, caring for a small local church out in the, the, the gen, Gentile boondocks that he cares for. Um, but yet, this is why we love our, the Bible mm. so much. It applies to me today, now, sitting here, um, and applies to our local church. May we not be led astray. May we see Christ for who he truly is, the, the supreme being overall, mm-hmm. um, and may that affect us. May the word of Christ dwell in us richly in that whatever we do, in word or in deed, that we, everything we might do may be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father who has given us such a great Christ, just such a great thing in Christ. Mm. So read Colossians. Yes. <laughs> study Colossians. This would be a great thing to do as a, as a missional community, as a huddle, or um, in some context to take time to set aside and study some of these shorter letters. I think it takes about 10 minutes to read mm-hmm. the book of Colossians straight through into family this, yes, worship. To see the forest and not just the trees. While the trees are make up the forest, it's important to see all of it. Mm-hmm. So, anything else? Anything to add? I think that's it. That's it. All right. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.